Uh, that can definitely fool all the listeners as I take on human form, or is it half human it's, form? It's not really you, Kenny. Of course, venom it is. sacks in the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mm. listeners, you just don't want to see what happened there. No, definitely not. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I am Kenny Smith, probably, or am I Commander Broton? Who knows? We shall find out as our adventures continue today, and that uh, means that you're listening to. The Power of Three podcast, Scotland's leading Doctor Who podcast, where we like to discuss, divulge, digress, and disagree on occasion as we work our way through the myriad adventures of the Doctor Who universe. And I'm joined today by the voice that you heard a wee minute ago. You better say hello and tell you who he is. Hello, I'm Bonnie. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I can't. I can't do that impersonation. <laughs> no, I'm no, you Stephen can't. Day. I really am. Really am. Yes, Stephen Day. Honestly, yep. no, no venom sacks or suckers. And of course, because of the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey nature of podcasting, I've actually literally just finished recording next week's episode, and uh, but we'll tell you about that later on. So yeah, that's the, the wonderful world of podcasting and jumping around through time tracks. And thankfully, it's not like the Space Museum. We're not talking about the Space Museum, don't worry. It's not talking um, about the Space Museum. Yeah, it's, it has... Episode one's great, but... Yes, we've covered that already. If you want to know what we think about it, go back and listen to the Season 2 episode, which was out a few weeks ago. So there we go. But yes, tonight we are continuing, or to this morning, or this afternoon, uh, depending on where you are and when you are. We are going to be discussing some Zygons as we complete our run of the latest Target novelizations, And we'll be having a little chat with Peter Harness later on about the Zygon invasion and the Zygon inversion. Ooh. But let's have a quick chat about Zygons in general, Stevie. Do you like them? I love them. Love them. I was introduced to Zygons in the school library, would you believe? Oh. Yep. Did they come to do school a reading library. and visit? Oh, one could only hope. <laughs> I, you know, we've already discussed my, my reading. I was a keen reader, but lots of the books that were in, was it the Scholastic range? Do you remember mm-hmm. it was kind of the book yeah. club you could go off and buy? And uh, the school had bought a whole load and they just weren't really very entertaining reading, apart from Terror of the Zygons, the Target book, which was Doctor. well thumbed through. Yeah, well thumbed through by me. Yeah, Doctor the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, was that what it was called? Yeah, that's what it was released as. Was it released as that? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I just remember enjoying the story, never having seen a Zygon before, apart from whatever was on the cover. Yep. I don't remember that either, but I just remember, oh, that was that was great. It was so entertaining to read and so much more interesting than uh, anything else. Kenny is holding up a Zygon, or is it a Zygon holding up Kenny? Difficult oh, to tell. It's uh, one for our YouTube viewers to enjoy, so you'll be able to see the, 
the, the zygon there so there you go but no i i absolutely loved and then of course i think it was uh dwm its early days had pictures of said beasties and can't remember when i actually watched it uh, but it didn't take away from the book and it's been a firm favorite for many yeah. years even though definitely not filmed in scotland <laughs> most definitely not i suppose that's the thing that for us i suppose there was that extra element of endearment the fact that they were created by a scottish writer and the late great robert Banks stewart and the fact the story was set in scotland and probably the most scottish of scottish locations in loch ness and tying in with our legendary monster have you ever seen the loch ness monster stevie i couldn't tell you kenny not allowed to ah security and all that well i think i have because we were up there in 1985 having a family holiday in uh, nearby Brody, and we went to Loch Ness for the day and picked up, parked up, had a picnic, and my dad pointed at, look at that, and going past were these huge ripples followed by smaller ripples at the side, and they were actually, you could see the ripples moving, there was no boat there, there was no wind that could have caused it, and there was definitely some form of movement. Don't, couldn't see what it was, but there was two things moving side by side. So I believe I saw something, but I don't know what it was. Skeletons, anyone? Maybe. We need a little road trip, Kenny. That sounds like it. Do you want to claim it in expenses? <laughs> I don't know what expenses you're going to claim it on. I could try. <laughs> oh, I could do it for it's the Scottish Central Highland travel. Mm. <laughs> yeah, for a good feature. Take care. We can make a video for the Scottish Food website. So, yes, mm, I thought. Mm, so let's not. park that one and carry yeah, on talking okay. about Zygons. Yes, you know, I I love to have the Zygons. First saw it when we got the VHS back in 1988, I think it was, and um, because it'd been released in I think it was in Australia with Talons before it was released over here, because they were too gory, and then they did come out with a PG rating eventually. So it was uh, it was great to see and just loved it. Took a real shine to them, and of course. We weren't the only ones who took a shame to them, as we know that that young Scottish actor, Davy MacDonald, or David Tennant, as some people like to call him, uh, he was a big fan of them, and that was why Stephen Moffat, another Scottish person, uh, brought them back in Day of the Doctor. And that was really good. I mean, you could have taken them and ruined them, mm -hmm. but actually, as, as menacing, actually more menacing than they were, they could certainly move faster. Definitely. They look great, and I've seen the new costumes. I've seen the the original surviving one at the Doctor Experience, and it's just such a great design. Just those suckers, that sort of fetus-like design that they have. It's just I'm just looking at the action figure again, and it's just a piece of genius all round. And I mean, okay, I may not be an expert in organic crystallography, but this, the Zygons are just superb in every way. And I have to say, I wasn't surprised that they came back again because having made all those beautiful monster costumes it was really good to, to have them back against Peter Capaldi goodness mm. there's a real theme emerging here when Zygons around the, are around there's Scottish people involved yeah but uh, do you know the both the because of what do we have the Zygon invasion and the Zygon inversion yes is that the right order yes yeah, the ones yeah again they could have flopped they could really have have you know nosedived I think the fact that they're is Doctor Who Monster of the Week. I suppose it can be classed as that, but you're not just talking about monsters; you're talking about characters behind, aren't you? Mm -hmm. 
So it's not just a man in a suit, a man in a very cleverly designed, or a woman in a very cleverly designed suit. But you've got characters there, whether that's the, the humanoid version, the shape-shifting, or actually in the costume, I think. They've taken care to write them properly and do things with them, which sometimes gets forgotten with Doctor Who monsters. Yeah, they've got individual personalities, which is the, the thing that something like Ice Warriors sometimes has as well, particularly when you've got the likes of Lord Slar, who's mm. Broton, was full of personality in here. We've got Bonnie, who's uh, very much the sort of leading the rebellion against humanity. And um, I mean, it really does feel like a t- it's quite a tense thriller. I think thriller is definitely the word that I would use yeah. for this one. Yeah, thriller is. It's it's a it's a, it's a cold war. It's a cold war. It's it's kind of the submarines beneath the sea, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's a bit more. I mean, it's got action in it, but there's a lot more thinky. And then you've got that amazing. I just watched it before we started recording. That amazing speech mm-hmm. about war um, for Peter Capaldi. And now some people say it was written. Some people say it was ad libbed. I think probably a wee bit of both. But what a fantastic bit of writing. And yes, you had the Zygon alongside the, alongside the, the Clara Bonnie, and you knew she was a Zygon, but you didn't need to have it rammed down your throat. Mm-hmm. You know, two opposing sides about to obliterate the world or their worlds. Yeah, and I think it's an amazing performance from Capaldi when he's doing that speech. When it's just, it feels like you're watching theatre. And he's talking directly to you. That's how I felt when I rewatched it last night. I think, yes, yeah. Um, I feel the music had so much to it. I was listening to it with headphones on, and it doesn't start off with music, but then it kicks in. And the echo and the sound balance that you've got behind um, being in the Black Archive, it just makes it such a powerful scene. He's obviously at the heart of that. You know, without without his performance, it doesn't matter how much music or echo or whatever you have. But what a superb bit of theatre, as you said. Yeah, and got to give credit to Jenna for giving a really good performance as the villain of the story. I think she's fantastic yeah. playing the cold part, and it just it gives her good range. So a lot of people found Clara annoying because she was a bit of a know-it-all in their words, but I quite enjoyed the character. And I think here she gets a real chance to flex her muscles, and I think she's superb. I think that probably propelled her on to bigger and better if there is anything bigger than better than Doctor <laughs> Who. Sorry, sorry. It propelled her on, I think, the fact that you could see she was playing another character, but she was still Jenna Coleman, she was still Clara, but good actors like her, Peter Capaldi, I give you Patrick Stewart, who can step out and do all these different characters. And you don't think about it. You don't think, oh, there's Jenna Coleman doing a... It's it's a, it's her character, and there's a real talent in that. And I think that throughout, the writing is so sharp. I think um, he sort of did a fantastic job sort of structuring it, giving us just a modern thriller. And yes, it's you can tell where Clara's been taken because she does act a bit more differently, but uh, she's just... It's cleverly done. The fact we've got bringing Unit in again with Kate Mm -hmm. and and Osgood. And again, another fantastic performance from Ingrid Oliver, who is, and we get to discover Osgood's first name as well. But I really love that scene where it's 
Doctor and Osgood sort of having jumped out the parachute, uh, jumped out with the parachute um, in true Roger Moore style. And yeah. um, and just they're having that banter when they're talking with the, the guys in the police car who are obviously Zygons. And it's just the way the Doctor's carrying on and Osgood sort of like, hmm, they're not human. And she's sort of yeah. like trying to get him away. And I think it's a very, very subtly funny scene. And um, and then when the penny drops for the doctors, it's great. I think they're a really good combo. Yeah, no, they, they are. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think I've been on that beach or that car park as well. So that was another, that was another wee kind of <laughs> been there, done that. What did you think as a two-parter though? Because classically, two-parters can be build, 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 and then fall away. What did you think? Well, the thing that I really enjoyed about this one is, in fact, the thing that I enjoyed about all the two parters this season is that they're sort of like reflections of another, or they parallel. So you've got the magician's apprentice and the witch's familiar, and the girl who lived, the woman who died. I think the episode um, titles are, are very good, and I think this one it feels it does feel like a proper two parter because it's building up in that cliffhanger with the plane exploding. It's brilliant! I think how are they going to get out of that one? But then, of course, we do get the the old uh, here's the extra bits that happened that you didn't see and yeah. um, as the Doctor and Clara pull up their escape and Jenna gets to do that wonderful stuff inside um, Bonnie's head and sort of moving things off target a bit like Oswin in uh, Asylum of the Daleks actually where mm-hmm. she gets to sit and watch what's going on in the outside world and I really enjoyed it I thought that it's definitely a shift like episode one's very much sort of building up and building up and then the resolution in part two, sort of trying to diffuse everything and and bring the scale down and uh, gets to a happy ending. No, I liked it. I thought I thought it was a, a definitely. It would never have worked as a one parter. It'd been too much storytelling to fit in there, and it wouldn't. But have not a disappointment as a two parter. Some no. But then lots of those two parters that season weren't a disappointment. And this this one especially, we're going to have to go and rewatch it again. You realise what you've done to me just by mentioning it because I watched a wee bit and I thought, hmm, well, I'm going to have to watch this now. So <laughs> see when I get to bed at midnight, Kenny. Yeah. It's your fault. Okay, that's fine. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's engrossing and it's good viewing. And I think just the regulars are just outstanding as usual. And of, of course, a lovely wee cameo from Rebecca Front, Wildy's old uh, sparring par- partner from the thick of it as well. Yes, yes, yes. She doesn't last long, though, does she? No, but um, no. But it's quite nice just to sort of see them there, and you could. I'm sure that there was some good fun uh, off-camera banter going on there, and probably some very sweetie words being exchanged. But uh, just and of course, heck of it. filmed at Christmas. Follow that one, Kenny. Oh, that's tremendous. Yes, but do you get the reference? No. Do, you, do you understand? Filmed at Christmas. So that was the town of Christmas. Oh, of course. Except we were seeing it in the daylight. So we didn't realise it was just army army shooty killy practice thing. I don't I know. What, 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 what do we call it? Target range? No. Yeah, no. that's sort of target practice sort of. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Very good. Yep. Well, that's my opinion. Anyone can prove me wrong, but it does look very, very christmas Mm, very Christmassy, indeed. So I await your irate text when you say, nope, you were wrong, you were wrong. It was actually a completely different village. I'll go and check out my um, Doctor Who complete uh, series guide from the, the part work collection 
and uh, see what it says. But I'll, I'll text you later. But in the meantime, why don't we have a quick word with the man who wrote the story, Mr. Ooh, yes. Peter Harness? Let's head to Sweden. Hello, I'm Peter Harness. I'm the author of the brand new Target novelization of the Zygon Invasion. Welcome to the and podcast, the- Peter. It's a delight to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I suppose we'll start off by chatting about the original TV version. Do you remember what was in your brief from Stephen Moffat? Was it a case of give us a sequel to Day of the Doctor and follow up what happened to the Zygons? I think it was a bit more specific than that. I think he took me aside at the screening of, I'm pretty sure it was Deep Breath, in uh, the summer of... um, whatever year it was, 2014 maybe. And he said, uh, he took me took me into a side room and said, okay, Zygon's urban thriller, somebody gets killed, and it's basically kind of what happened after the the end of the the, the day of the doctor with that with that ceasefire. So I think that I, I think the thing that he the the thing that he really kind of emphasised was that he wanted an urban thriller, basically, and I think the fact that Osgood, that there were still two Osgoods, or that there had been two Osgoods all along, um, was part of it. But other than that, yeah, other than that, I think that was the kind of uh, brief as far as I remember it, and I think that they um, they'd obviously thought that that I liked or could handle slightly chunkier dry dramatic stuff or slightly more kind of um political stuff from kill the moon you know which is not necessarily what i would have always chosen to do if i'd have um you know if i'd have um kind of been pitching my own ideas a bit more um but i was very happy to do it I mean, it's uh, the day of the Doctor is an amazing story, and, and I think the Zygons are amazing um, monsters. I think they're my favourite Doctor Who monsters, actually. And the whole kind of uh, the whole kind of body snatchers thing, the 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 body doubling and the body horror is something that I'm very taken with. I prefer. I think that's much more interesting than um, uh, than than Daleks and uh, Cybermen to an extent. Yeah, there's definitely that uh, that element of, is it really them, is it not? I mean, I'm not going to ask you for a specific answer here, but in your mind, do you know which version of Osgood it is? Is it the Zygon one? Is it the human one? But do you have a definitive answer in your mind, but I'm not asking for a specific yes or no, or, or to uh, take which one? No, I don't. I'm not sure that Stephen does either. I think uh, Ingrid Oliver does. I mean, I suppose that would help her play uh, play it to an extent, but I haven't asked her which one it is, and um, I don't think I didn't write it with with an awareness of which one it was in mind, because really that was um, that was part of the point of it that that y- you get so uh, this process of doubling each other is a two way street, and you get. Um, and essentially you do you become the thing that you're that you're imitating and whatever you're imitating also becomes you so in a way it um, it didn't really matter which Osgood is is which and i think you've got 
themes of identity and integration, assimilation going on alongside that. And, and um, I think it's right that we don't know which one she is. Excellent. I, I think it's quite nice that it's good to know that there's not a definitive answer, uh, unless, of course, you're Ingrid. But uh, yeah, I'll have to mm-hmm. ask her next time. <laughs> I suppose the thing that people, when they think of the story, they tend to remember most is the speech. And that you must be really proud that people listen to that and they think, yeah, that absolutely sets out a moral compass, not just for the doctor, but pretty much for everybody. I hope so. I mean, I quite like, I'm a bit of an idealist, really. And and I do think that things can be boiled down to to idealistic statements. I think for some people it's perhaps a bit too idealistic and the the idea that you can sit down and talk and um, solve things by forgiving people and working things out by uh, by conversation is is maybe a little bit naive. But I think the thing with being idealistic or, or looking at things in that way is that it can... it. As far as I'm concerned, it can actually be as simple as that. You can boil things down to a very simple idea of how to solve a complex problem, but you've got to clear a lot of other shit out of the way first. You know, you've got to go into it with a kind of purity of uh, of mind and intention. And obviously, I don't think it's true that any of those things are easy. It's not easy to. Um, uh, to approach things in the way that the the doctor is suggesting there it's in fact it's kind of impossibly painfully hard and he's not succeeded at it himself part of the point of the day of the doctor and um and the long speech at the end of um the zygon episodes is that he knows what happens if you don't try and make that simple choice try and try and address things in in a different way it just leads to it, it leads to more conflict and more violence and more guilt, and um, you know he seems to be very evangelical about that post what happened in in the day of the doctor because he knows he knows what it's like if you if you can't eventually find a solution to the uh, to to those problems. I mean, yes, I guess I guess it's a sentiment that you should that everybody should have in mind. But of course, there are some there are some wars which are justified. There are some wars which are inflicted upon you by by aggressors. There are some kind of um, there's persecution and there's there's unfairness. But for me, the point that the doctor's making is that the only way that you can prevent it from destroying yourself, that you can prevent kind of whoever you're fighting um, from ultimately uh, winning and getting inside your head is is to take a more forgiving and compassionate approach. And that's a long way down, you know, for nearly everybody, that's a long way down the line. But I think maybe maybe the doctor understands the importance of that. Yeah, I think he does. He definitely does. That's why he said it. Um, yeah. And of course, Peter just delivered it beautifully, didn't he? Yes, it was incredible. Uh, it was incredible to watch. It was, I don't think they did very many takes of that scene. I, I think probably they only did two or three, and I think they treated it very. It's a very theatrical speech, and it's a very theatrical way to end a TV, a kind of action TV program. But uh, he, 
I think they approached it as though it was a kind of stage play, and and he he performed it uh, with with a total command of um, of the stage and the space. And it's wonderful to write for actors who you know can can do that. And I think that probably I'm not taking credit for this in any way, but I think Stephen must have seen what he did in that um, episode and and thought let's give him a whole episode on his own because he can certainly he can he can command the screen entirely for 10 minutes or whatever it is just on his uh, just on his performance alone and um and i think stephen uh, i don't i don't know if i've discussed this with him but um i think he probably thought well let's see what he can do if it's just him because he's, I mean, he's magnetic, and you can, you can tell the years of experience he's had in, uh, in how to structure a performance and how to give it nuance and and move it along and tell the story with his uh, performance. I think it's the first time that you look at his doctor and you think, oh, I really know who you are now. I think it's uh, after he's settled down after his first series of being rather spiky. I think that's. That's a moment where he kind of comes into being in all of his fire and passion and um, emotion. No, it's 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 wonderful. I think it's one of the best uh, performances by by a doctor in the series. So, would it be fair to say you were a fan of the show before you got the commissions to work on it? Yes, of course. I've been a fan ever since I can remember, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of my um, <laughs> a lot of what I was doing as a writer or or trying to aim for as a writer was uh, in order to uh, to be able to write Doctor Who and I managed it and I'm very I'm I'm very happy that that um, I wrote for Peter Capaldi because I think like you he would be my my favorite modern era doctor and I very much like the 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 tone of the show and what they were doing with it when um, when he was the doctor so I think it landed really well and um i'm very i'm very proud of the episodes that i did so moving on were you a collector of target books as a fan when you were younger yes i think that that was um uh i i mean i remember my the, the first one the first one i got i i kind of pinched it from my cousin i was a i was a big Doctor Who fan anyway and I would have been very small I would have been maybe three or four and um I noticed that there was a Doctor Who book on his uh, on his bookshelves and it was Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapon with a, this amazing cover this amazing psychedelic cover with a big uh, claw coming out of it and I kind of I'm sure I asked whether I could have it but but they uh, um but he gave it to me and I think that that was probably what made me aware that there was that there were all these uh, Doctor Who books kicking around, and we there wasn't a bookshop in our town. We lived in a very small town, but um, up the coast where my grandparents lived in Bridlington, there was a book bookshop called Garlands, and um, and there was there were a couple of shelves of Doctor Who books there, and um, whenever we went through once or twice a month on a Saturday. I might be allowed to uh, to buy a new Doctor Who book, but I but I think what I really liked doing was collecting the old ones. I think that that was where my it's a bit um, defunct now. A love of secondhand 
bookshops or or bookstalls on on markets but i used to so love trawling around secondhand book bookshops and things and looking for um for the old target ones with the old kind of black poetry style logo um the the older the better um i i mean and god they would have been probably less than 10 years old <laughs> they felt ancient and they felt like a completely different world and so um i did collect them i didn't avidly buy the new ones i would kind of wait for them to become old and 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 well loved before i picked them up uh i think so yes i've i've got i haven't got all of them because i kind of uh, i i think i i stopped collecting them like uh, in the in the late 80s when the, uh, you know i haven't got the mccoy ones i don't think but uh, yeah, they're a big they're a big part of my childhood, and I, and I remember where and when I got them, and and what circumstances I I got them in. Like I got Image of the Fendal. My my dad bought me Image of the Fendal when I was recovering from uh, for, for being good at good at having chicken pox and not um you know not not scratching my uh, my spots too much and uh, and I remember I, I remember getting the image of the Fendal and they kind of. Tom Baker looks very ill on the cover of that, and it kind of uh, like chimed with uh, uh, me feeling poorly as well. I remember getting the uh, an unearthly child for 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 being particularly good at something as well, but I, I I I can't remember exactly what that was. But yes, I've got I've got them all, and I must have. Um, I don't have such clear memories of reading them, you know, for my for myself as other people seem to do. But I mean, I did read them. But I can't. I can't kind of remember specific phrases and things like uh, like many people can. I guess I read them once and then read the other one. I didn't sit and read them and read them and read them like some people do. Yeah, it's funny. I was having the same, um, just saying that with Keith Temple, and uh, we were chatting about Planet of Youth last week, and he was exactly the same. He remembers exactly where he bought certain books, and it's, I think it's one of those things. I mean, I remember I bought Doctor in the Moonbase, and mm. uh, all these various ones and just there's something I think it's because you're sort of, you've got that emotional investment in them and sort of that's why it sticks in the head it was I mean don't you could ask me I couldn't remember where I bought half my other stuff but when it comes to target books I know exactly where they came from and probably when so <laughs> yeah there's there's something in there that makes them special but they were usually such a find as well you know you didn't know whether where you were going to find them for me and and you weren't sure which one, you know, even if you were going to a shop which stocked them, you weren't sure which ones they would have. And you didn't know when there were new ones coming out. And, um, and you know, you'd suddenly be delighted by there suddenly being the Nightmare of Eden or the Seeds of Doom or the Keys of Mariners popping up. And you think, oh, God, what the hell is this story all about? Who's in it? I have no idea what happens in this. I think... Um, I mean, you can get very nostalgic about the pre-digital age, but it was um, there's something wonderful about not knowing everything about everything and and things being surprising and mysterious and and unexpected and and not being able to um, not being able to kind of get them at the click of a button and to know everything at the click of a button. I think that that makes them kind of doubly magical. I absolutely agree. So, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with people mail ordering them, but there's that thrill of the hunt that we used to have back in yeah. the good old days. Happy times and places. Happy times and places, indeed. <laughs> so, it must have been a real thrill, though, when you got the first approach to ask if you'd be interested in novelising this one. It was. And I, 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 I had like a 
like half a day of thinking, oh God, because I was in the middle of writing um, a TV show which we've been filming, uh, which we filmed last year. And yes, I think I'd maybe just been kind of commissioned to to write the, re the, the, the rest of that before we actually filmed it. And so I thought, oh God, of course I'd love to do it, but I don't, but I haven't, but I can't see how I have the time to do it. And then, and, and then I, and then I thought, oh no, don't be, don't be a complete idiot. You, you can't, you can't say you won't do a target book because I mean, you know, they might not ask you again and uh, you'd kick yourself. So I rang them back and I, and, and I said, oh yes, of course I'll do it. Of course I'll do it. I'm delighted to do it. And then it, it did kind of turn out that I didn't have enough time to do it, so it ended up uh, waiting a year or so. I booked out. I booked out a bit of time to do it, but but um, but I conveniently got COVID um, during that, and 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 I had such kind. Of, I had such appalling brain fog. I couldn't even uh, string together one one sentence after another, even if I was talking to people. So um, that that bit of time that I'd carved out to sit down and write the book i think i'd made a start and then i got covid and uh, and then i got taken up with shooting the 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 show that i'm doing and so i i scurried back to it in my in my christmas holidays last year and uh, managed to finish it so uh, yes i was i i was i was delighted and i somehow managed to fit it in i'm very i'm very happy that i did i'm very happy that i did I'm very happy that you did too. It's a, it's another Doctor Who novelisation. It's another Peter Capaldi one, so always good by me. Um, so, what was your process for this one? Did you take the the Terence Dix approach, or did you go for something a bit more, perhaps Malcolm Hulk? Yeah, I I think I slightly did a, a bit of both actually. I think I'm lucky in that. It was a two-parter, and I think that the um, which which naturally fits into the um, that um, ninety minutes, the old four episode slot sits very well in um, in a target book, and I'm glad I'm glad I wasn't doing one of the forty-five minutes because I think that what a lot of those writers have, have found is that they have that they've got to invent another story, um, and I think that that would be um, that would be quite. Uh, challenging so there was enough material really to to be able to structure a target book and not divert too much from what was um what was originally in it but i but i have fleshed certain things out a bit there, 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 there was quite a lot of um backstory and and odd little bits that i did at the time that i wrote the tv show which either were never in the script to begin with or were and then and then disappeared so so i've i've smoothed some of those into it in a kind of malcolm hulk way but um but the terrence dicks factor of it is um which i've uh, followed is that i think that um to me at uh, a target it's I, I think it's great when when people flesh them out and they become uh, they become slightly different artifacts to the to the thing on the TV. But I also think what what people value about them is that they are that they're fairly direct novelizations of what went on. And so so I think that's the approach that the the, the that I've taken really a fairly traditional approach of describing the 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 story as it was on TV, tidying a, up a couple of loose ends and and plot holes and and. Uh, 
putting in an odd bit of backstory. So yes, it's it's a it's a it's a little combination of Malcolm Hulk and, and Terrence Sticks. How did you find coming it back to it, considering it being a good what um, seven odd years since it had been you'd finished it and it had been broadcast? Well, I think I did that um, during lockdown. Emily Cook organised those tweet-alongs, and the Zygons was uh, was one of those. So I, I'd been back to it, and I and I'd rewatched it, and I'd thought about it quite a bit before before I knew I was doing the target thing. So it, it felt fairly fresh in my mind. I think the the process that I had with with that was that um, I I hadn't really read reviews or or looked what the response was on forums or social media or anything like that um so i wasn't particularly aware of what people thought of the story or how it or how it had been taken so going back to it and doing it in in that fairly public way of uh, the tweet alongs which were very positive and friendly and fun experiences uh, was was a very good experience, and you know, I obviously felt that if if it if Emily had picked it for um, to be one of the tweet longs, then it was probably one of the stories that people liked, rather than a, you know a story that was going to cause any number of punch ups online. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, clearly, uh, people thought of it very fondly, and, and obviously, they 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 loved that they loved the speech. So. Yes, it was. Uh, it was. It was kind of fresh in my mind again, and uh, I'd watched it back, and I thought, "This is, you know, I, I think this is pretty good still, and it stands up very well." I watched it with my kids, and they, um, I can't remember whether they they were probably a bit small to watch it when it went out initially, and they, um, and they both enjoyed it. To, you know, well, of course, of course, they had criticisms, but um, you, you know they always do. That's um, children for you. <laughs> you know, why do you write such horrible stuff, Daddy? Why do people always die in this? Why did they have to die? That was horrible. It's usually usually the feedback I get from uh, from my kids, but um, uh, no. So it was it was in my mind, and it was it was a, a happy thing, and um, and I dug out all of my old drafts of it, so I knew I knew what things um, used to be in it before before we shot it. So it was quite it was quite. And, and then I think very shortly after that, that year anyway, I started writing the book. So it was a fairly smooth transition from from doing the tweet longs into writing the book. Something I particularly enjoyed are the chapter titles, which all sound like they could be short stories or stories in their own right, like The Boy on the Stairs, The Stranger in the Bus, The Diner Across the Road. There's just something quite Rogue Dal-esque about them all, The Man in the Estate, the woman in the pod. I really enjoy that. I thought that was, I just really found them quite funny. Thank you. Yeah. I, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed doing the, all of those fiddly things like the, like the, the, the chapter titles. They always, they always tended to have quite cool and interesting chapter titles. Uh, Doctor, Doctor Who books, didn't they? And the chapter titles were, were often as exciting, if not more as, uh, uh, as what was actually in the um, in the chapter itself, uh, I, I enjoyed doing that, and I enjoyed doing the footnotes. Um, do you, like because in those old um, in those first books that you used to get, you'd uh, get a little uh, asterisk and um, and a thing saying "See Doctor Who in the Moon Base" or "See Doctor Who in the Tenth Planet." If you're if you're reading um, 
a Cyberman book. And so I had I had a bit of fun with uh, with putting putting in a couple of those, not uh, you know somewhat facetiously. It has to be said a couple of them, but uh, I thought that um, I enjoyed doing that. It was. Yeah. Um, it felt like it made it a proper Doctor Who book. Definitely. See, the clones of Dr. Funkenstein. I thought they'd made me take that out. I was surprised because that's not a Doctor Who <laughs> story. It's, it's, it's a funk album. <laughs> I, was, I thought they made me take that out, but uh, lo and behold, it's there. Um, no, I mean, I always thought the clones of Dr. Funkenstein was, was a pretty good episode title for episode two. No, I'm, I'm glad that stayed in. <laughs> and page 131 has got to see Doctor Who in the Loch Ness Monster and Doctor Who in the Day of the Doctor. So I do like that. There's, that's uh, a <laughs> nice little bit. It's those wee touches that, that just sort of just push it there. Just that little Easter egg for the fans who, who get it and those who don't. Oh, well, it's uh, it's over the head, but it's fun yeah, anyway. Which I love. So all in all, a very happy process for you once the COVID was out of the way. Yes, I think so. It was, uh, it, it was. I, I enjoyed doing it very much. I've not written uh, a novel before. I've not really written any longer prose, and I did enjoy it. I, uh, I enjoyed it very much, and I'd love to. I mean, I, um, I don't know whether they'll continue novelizing the uh, the Doctor Who stories, and, and the other two that I wrote are just forty-five minute ones. So, um, you know, it probably wouldn't be such an easy ride, but. Um, but I'd love to write a bit more prose in the future. I find it, obviously, nearly everything that I've done has been drama and mostly screenplays, which are a different discipline. But I find it, uh, it, it felt like a bit of a holiday. It feels less like a, a day job and uh, and it's a bit, uh, yeah, it felt a bit um, freer and um, and more kind of liberating sometimes than, than writing, writing a screenplay does because, um, Writing a screenplay, you know, it's you have to find different ways into people's heads, and it's much more to do with obviously making pictures and knowing how something's going to be conveyed when it's actually shot. But there isn't a, an interior monologue, and you can't be so precise about exactly. You know, you've got to guess things from um, from what people say and um, the. Uh, What's on the screen? Sorry, my chickens are going crazy outside. I'll just um, <laughs> just shut the door. Somebody... I can honestly say I've never had that sentence on a podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's clearly laid an egg. There's something I there's something I loved about it. It's very nice to be able to kind of put your own voice into things, in a way, and it's very nice to be able to to listen to some of the interior monologue of um, of your characters. It's, it seems to me a lot more straightforward than uh, uh, than writing the film script. But I mean, I probably don't know how little I know about writing novels. So uh, this is this is just a random kind of simplistic thoughts of, a, of an absolute beginner. I will twist Steve Cole's arm uh, next time I see him and uh, tell him we want more because I want a complete set of new series novels. So yeah i wonder whether we ever will um but uh that would be quite fun i think wouldn't it be, be uh you know doctor who fans are completists there's a big itchy hole in your head if you don't um if you don't manage to uh to to fill the gaps on your bookshelf so exactly uh, i i hope that that does happen one day yeah well i brought mine down and i've got them just sitting over there just uh just to my left so i can see them all and because uh 
I bought the the first editions and some of them didn't have the proper target logo on the spine. So they look slightly off, but they are the proper ones. And the later reissues did have them. So My City of Death, Rose and Day of the Doctor. Oh, and also Twice Upon a Time don't have the target logo. So I'm not going to go go buy the reissues yet. I haven't got that money. (laughs) But hey, suddenly I talk about it and now I feel that completest urge to go and do it. Ah, what have I done? Anyway, Peter, it's been a real joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat. Thank you for having me. Um, And uh, and I'll see you again very soon whenever I've done Kill the Moon or the Pyramid at the End of the World, I guess. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No Copperberg was involved in this interview. Ah, There we go. Thank you very much, Peter. Lovely to take the time to chat and tell us all about the TV version and the novelisation. So another person who was a Target book collector in his youth as well, Stevie. You just had to be, didn't you? If you loved Doctor Who, you just needed those Target books. Yeah, Target practice. So what would um, Dave and I discussed quite recently, which episode we would like to have novelised? Which ones would entice you to buy them? Which episodes would you like to hear novelised? Um, of the modern era? Yes. Oh, now there's there's a question I need advance notice in. What has been done? Uh, we've had Rose, we've had Dalek, we've had the Christmas Invasion, Planet of the Ud, the Fires of Pompeii, the Waters of Mars. We've also had the Crimson Horror, the Day of the Doctor, the Zygon Invasion, Eaters of Light, Twice Upon a Time, and Kerblam and the Witchfinders. I would say it would be nice to have, um, I was going to say Donna's final episode, oh, The Stolen uh, Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the two parts? Stolen Earth and... Uh, Stolen Earth and Journey's End. Yeah, I quite liked that for more detail. And actually, I was going to say it, Parting of the Ways. Oh, yeah. I think, I think fill in a wee bit of uh, Christopher's final final adventure I, I loved it and um, I'm sorry he didn't do more but in many ways it set us up for a regeneration that we might not have had for a year or another year maybe it wouldn't have been as impactful I think that's a story that maybe needs a a wee bit more yeah uh, and Linda you know we need a bit more we need about Linda we Linda with a Y not Linda with a Y, we we really didn't have enough Linda with a Y. I feel I felt that could have been a character that could have run. Maybe maybe we need a timey wimey um, extraction, big finish, short story, if it hasn't been done already. Yeah, I do like Joe Joyner. She's very very good. So yeah, those those would be actually two that I would run mm-hmm. out and run out and get. Um, I think the girl in the fireplace. Yeah. Could because we could expand. Mm-hmm. We could expand that a little and find out a bit more about their relationship. Yep, that sounds quite good fun. I would definitely go for that. So, in other news, Stevie, of course, we've had the the fourteenth Doctor Sonic screwdriver being revealed at the San Diego Comic Con. Have you seen it? Yes. Have you seen, what did you think of it? I have seen it, and it looks very, very pretty. I also saw in Amazon today. Oh. Um, because because there was a link that went out for character options, 
mm-hmm. um, you can now buy it. But when you went to it, it said it was out of stock, so yep. that's fine. But I have seen ones uh, on Amazon. Uh, if I can find you the link, I'll share it for £199. Bloody hell. Well, yeah. that's just ridiculous. I've got one here and it's lovely. Yes. And I would recommend, don't buy them. That's Don't buy from the scalpers because I can tell you character options are reissuing them. There will mm-hmm. be more on the way. They only did a thousand which they shipped to San Diego Comic Con, but there will be a lot more coming to the UK. So please don't mind the pockets of the scalpers. Yeah. And it's just... It, it's just, just ridiculous people doing that. And I, I th- you've got to think of the fans. Yeah. And especially at this time, you know, the fans who just want to buy and have. And, and I'm not sure what its RRP is, but I'm sure, like the rest of them, it'll be pretty reasonable. Yeah. Frustrating, but... Yeah, and of course the other new reveal is that there's going to be a new Tom Baker comics compilation coming from Panini, which will really? include the Star Beast. Oh, the Star Beast! I like the Star Beast, which will be coming back to very soon. Oh, I, I listened to the Star Beast, Kenny. Ah, you need to read the Star Beast, Stevie. Mm, okay, different story, same story. Oh, it's it's very similar, similar but different, shorter, but hmm. very much so. That's. So yeah, I cannot think why we'd be talking about the Star Beast, but why would we think? It's almost like it's you know calling to us from the future. Yeah, meet, meet, meet. <laughs> oh yes, the the beep song. No, well, I, I, I I just love the phrase. Um, Everyone back to the meep heap. <laughs> that's if become indeed, your that's new, how it sounds. That's become your <laughs> new catchphrase. It is actually your ringtone when you ring me. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> It's not, but I wish it was. Well, it should be. I should sample <laughs> it and be a, a quick uh, edit of uh, of that audio. That would make it work. So yes, there's um, good good stuff on the way, and obviously uh, more target novelizations, which Dave and I mentioned last week. So yes, plenty to keep us entertained in the build up to the sixtieth. So there we go. So Kenny, Stevie, Kenny, before you before you do that, do we have any dates for the sixtieth? I have conflicting information. Well, I was having a look. The 23rd is on a Thursday. So whether they'd want to do like the specials over three nights and do like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I don't know. Whether it'd be like weekly, I haven't a clue. I really don't know what their plans are. I'd love to know. But at the moment, it's been a pretty close kept secret by the beat. But I know that the episodes have been finished and edited for quite a while. So Mm. excited. I'm excited. I know. Isn't it, it's a good feeling knowing that there's um, not only is there some specials with David and Catherine and, and obviously the late great Bernard and uh, Jax as well. And then uh, we've got a whole new era on the way and uh, yep. Bonnie's back. Not the Zygon. <laughs> not not Bonnie the Zygon. We don't want that. So we don't want Bonnie the Zygon back. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's looking like it's going to be rather exciting times, but we shall see. I'm looking forward to a trailer. I want to see if it has the same effect it had on me in 2005. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. No. But uh, sitting with my one of my best pals in the house and chatting to my wife, all three of us, and she said, it was like somebody just flicked a switch because this was this very familiar sting came out of old Doctor Who. Apparently, we just turned away didn't continue the conversation and just stared at the screen and I'm hoping that effect comes back again 
That's Do you want to come with me? It was just a what a trailer. And I'm I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that moment where I go into the yeah. kitchen and I just stop. You know what it will be, Stevie? The trip of a lifetime, Kenny. It certainly will. It certainly will. <laughs> now, Kenny, you know, we, we do a lot of these podcasts and you like to finish with uh, music. Have you had any thoughts at all about what you could play us out with? <laughs> Funnily enough, I have. And it's also the same band that's going to be playing us out next week as well. Um, because we'll be back next week with... No, hang on, that was last week. I'm so timey-wimey'd out. I don't know what we're doing next week yet, but we'll be back with the something. Um, but yes, it's the same <laughs> group as last week. There we go, I've, I've got it in my head straight now. Um, yes, um, we're going to be playing out with Pet Shop Boys again. And this is a track from the Relentless album, which is a very limited edition one with only six tracks on it that was never fully released. And it's called We Came From Outer Space. Good at this stuff, aren't you? Particularly if I can tie in with Pet Shop Boys then, yes, I try my best. <laughs> but Stevie, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to see you. And That's I hope that the, the listeners have enjoyed it and the viewers on YouTube have been having a good laugh as well. You never told me that we had viewers on YouTube. Of course we do. They're watching I, right now. I would have done my hair. I did mine. So. And I'd have put on some clothes and... <laughs> well, there we go. That's the treat for the. That's why you need to be watching our YouTube channel, listeners. So, so yes. So we'll be back uh, next week with another exciting episode of the Power Three. Until then, I've been Kenny. Bye bye. And I've been Stevie. Bye bye.